Okay, Bo and KD, today we're starting week number one in a five-week series. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about the missionary, the Mormon missionary lessons that it's called Preach My Gospel. You can actually find it online. Everything we're about ready to talk about, people can find, even non-Mormon missionaries, right, can find it on. I didn't have to have like some special password to get to find these missionary lessons. So we're going to go over lesson number one. But first, Bo, I think it would be good for you to give us a little bit more context about what what is this Preach My Gospel? What are these missionary lessons about? And how did you use the, these lessons to prepare for your mission all those years ago? Yeah, sure. So, so Preach My Gospel is the missionary... Uh, not Bible per se, but it's it's the missionary handbook. It like it is uh, what you live and breathe. So it teaches you how to be a missionary. Teaches you the lessons that you need to teach. Gives you all the scriptures to memorize, etc., uh, etc. Et right. So so preach my gospel. You live and breathe that for two years. And and for me, yeah. When when I was called to serve a mission for the LES Church, I started studying preach my gospel nonstop. And that, that thing became, I mean, I practically had it memorized, uh, by the end of those, those two years. And so, so yeah, so for me, preach my gospel was always, uh, super important. Uh, I treated it that way. And obviously I, you know, it helped me be what I would say a, an effective missionary for sure. Bo, you're selling yourself short a little bit. I think you were more than an effective missionary. You were you were amazing at it. You were so good at it that your preach my gospel was tattered and torn and worn from all your reading. It was marked up. It was had notes everywhere on it. He was like the all-star missionary, right? Yes, he wasn't absolutely. just your average missionary, just checking no, a box. Absolutely not. Okay. All right. We're good. We're good. So Bo, just, just for the non-Mormon listeners, what... When we say mission, because for Christians, we say missionaries, it's usually, you know, a husband and wife who go out on the mission field and dedicate 30 years of their life to it. You know, my my sister and brother-in-law are missionaries in Ethiopia right now. They raised support. They moved out there. It's their job. It's their career. For for you, you did this at 18 or 19, and it was what, a two-year commitment? Yeah, it was a two-year commitment. I did it from the ages of 19 to 21. And yes, obviously, I yeah, I was a good missionary. I, I studied, preached my gospel a ton, um, and uh, yeah, I was super committed. So, so obviously, be, because of that, uh, I got to know preach my gospel and these lessons really, really well. Okay, so and this um, is this is a physical booklet you had. I know we've got we'll have a link. We'll put it in the show notes below for our listeners. We're we're looking at it online, but you had like a like a handbook that you could mark up yeah. and highlight and everything. Yeah, spiral bound. I had notes in the margins, highlighter everywhere. I color coded it. It was great. So that thing went with me everywhere. And yeah, what Katie's referring to is there was, the, yeah, Elder Packer said that I had the most used preach my gospel he had ever seen. That was like <laughs> a mission story. And so you're uh, kind of whatever. like a legend among Let's not. The yeah, whatever. All right. Okay. All right. Oh, if, so, if Elder Packer could see you now. Stop, stop. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So because of that, I, I wanted to do this series because I think it's important for listeners um, with a with a Mormon background and then obviously our Christian listeners to to understand what Mormon missionaries teach uh, and to to figure out whether or not it's biblical. I think that's really, really important. Um, it was important for me to go through this exercise mm-hmm. when I was becoming a Christian. And, and when I, when I was kind of putting together my faith in Jesus, it was important for me to kind of pull apart those things that I taught on my mission. That was really important for me to understand what's biblical, what isn't. And, and so that's why I wanted to, to make sure that we were able to go through this. The other reason is preach my gospel just went through this big update. So the, what the preach my gospel that I've had and that I taught on my mission X amount of years ago, um, is now revamped in a new version, and there's there's five lessons instead of six, so that's cool. So and, and how we're going to go through all five. Yeah, how similar would you say? Like our like lesson one we're doing today is it still pretty similar to the to what you have in your in your handbook? 
It's practically identical. Okay. Yeah. I think all they did was they, they merged two lessons into one or something. So okay. it's not, it's, it's really not that different. And all the scriptures are, are basically the same, the scripture references that we're going to go through. So yeah, it should be pretty good. And everything that we're looking at in this lesson and really in all these lessons, this isn't just something, well, correct me if I'm wrong here. This isn't just something that a Mormon missionary would know and study, but actually, would you say that the average like member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints would, would understand these, these basic lessons? Absolutely. Um, actually, I remember studying this myself. I, I bought one for myself when I was in college, and I studied this every night as my devotional. Okay, who's the overachiever now? <laughs> Come on. All right, so but but what it's what's good for people to know is again for the Christian listeners to know that this is something that not just the missionaries know, but the, the average Mormon knows this stuff too. So we're not going to get into great deep what did you call them like deep sea or deeper doctrines or deep doctrine? Yeah, we're not really probably going to get into very much. Is deep that just doctrine. like a Mormon phrase, by th- the way? I think it is. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. <laughs> that's funny. That yeah, that's yeah. funny. But but we're, that would you say that this doesn't really? This is a little bit more kind of palatable stuff. Like a, a, like the missionaries knocking on your door in Alabama, they're gonna want to they're gonna want to try to connect it to Christian the Christianity, like Southern Baptist Christianity as much as possible so that you're like, oh yeah, that sounds like maybe just a little bit of an improvement on Christianity. It's not like this completely different thing. Totally. The, the goal of missionaries is to find common ground first mm-hmm. and then build off of that common ground, right? To, to then teach what, what they're trying to get across. So the common ground that we would always try to find was a belief in God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that God is our loving heavenly father. That's, that's how we would lead out, um, any lesson and, and obviously follow that with Jesus. And so typically Christians would want to talk to us more than anybody else, uh, because that belief system lined up at least on the surface level, pretty closely. Mm -hmm. Uh, although I always knew if someone invited me in for a glass of water, I knew it was either going to be a born-again Christian or a Jehovah's <laughs> Witness, and I was in for Bible bash pretty soon. <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, so, so yeah, that we, we would always start off with establishing, look, God is our loving Heavenly Father, uh, we're His children, and that typically kicked off a, a good conversation. Okay, but look, already, like this is in lesson one, this is the first talking point that you're taught as a missionary. Hey, let's lead with this. God is our loving Heavenly... But already... We have to explain this now, right, guys? Because the idea that we are God's children to a Mormon is very, very different than the idea that we're God's children to a Christian. Why don't you explain that? Yeah, I'll just read what it says and preach my gospel really quick. It says, God is our heavenly father. We are his children. He has a body of flesh and bone that is glorified and perfected. That is not backed up biblically. So, so that's the first claim in Preach My Gospel, that I think if Christians aren't listening, um, they might just kind of breeze over it and think, yeah, God's our Heavenly Father. Like when I pray, I pray to a Father in Heaven, right? So that's common ground. But um, the, the scripture that they use to back this up um, is in Acts 17, 29. So, so to your point, Brian, the, the very first line in Preach My Gospel is whoa, 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 hold up, hold up, right? Because, uh, and this is probably important for for our listeners with a Mormon background to understand that the belief that God is our heavenly Father um, is a bit taken out of biblical context. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, let's get into it. Well, yeah, actually, the Bible says John chapter one verses twelve and thirteen. It says, "But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God." So we're actually born children of wrath. The Bible teaches that we're born as enemies of God, not as children of God. And that but Mormons teach that we're all born as children of God in this pre-existence, right? And so it's a completely different idea, and I guess the question I have for you is are you getting into all the pre-existence stuff or are you just saying like how how I guess how intense are you drilling down on this one? Is it only if people ask as a missionary? Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Only, only if people ask, and really we would, we would refute it with just our memorized scriptures. So Acts 17, 29 is, is a, a verse I would pull out. Right. And I would say, um, you know, since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by crap. Oh, whoops, whoops. Hang on a second. Let me get, I got to get the, the, the King James version. Mm. Otherwise I'm not going to do it justice. Hang on a second. So I would go to Acts 17, 27 to 29, that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not uh, far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. Hmm. So the offspring of God comment is always what I would go to there. That's interesting. Uh, it is interesting. Um, and it's, it's one that, uh, that Mormon missionaries will use frequently. Right. But to your point, Brian, um, the, we are adopted into, right. God's family. We are adopted children of God. Um, when, when we believe that's what the Bible teaches. And so right off the bat, there's a difference between what the Bible teaches and what, uh, Mormon missionaries teach. It's interesting, Bo, that your go-to was scripture quoting Greek poetry. So, so what, (laughs) right? I mean, what Paul's doing here, this is, this is on Mars Hill. This is where he's preaching in Athens to these Greek philosophers and, He's quote he's quoting it says it right there as some of your own poets have said we are his offspring. He it's funny that you're quoting Greek philosophy. That's just like really ironic as we get deeper into this lesson because you're going to this thing that's not even a statement of truth from scripture. It's a it's a quote from it's a quote that Paul is making to to try to bridge the gap to the right. Athenians to help them to understand who the real God is. It's just, it's really, it's really funny to me. <laughs> it is funny, right? And, and obviously as a, as a Mormon missionary, um, it was a gotcha type of a scripture mm. because I, I could actually just, speaking to a Christian, right? I could point out in the Bible where mm-hmm. it says, hey, we're God's offspring, right? And, and he's, our, he's our father. Now, look, I, I think... Um, we could probably do an entire episode <laughs> yeah, on right. God as our Heavenly Father, but but just right off the bat, that's the first thing that we would teach. And and obviously, as as you called out, Brian, that that's not necessarily biblical, right? We are creations of God, and we have the opportunity to become sons and daughters of God when we believe in Jesus. That's right, and that's what Scripture teaches. Again. For all of our listeners, always let Scripture interpret Scripture. I mean, you can make up just about any belief you want to if you just pull something out of context and then trick people into thinking uh, that that's really the final word on the topic. But clearly, all through Scripture, it's so clear that we are broken, that we're sinful, that we need to be redeemed, that we are at enmity with God. And that's what the, that's, enter the gospel. I mean, that's the gospel is all about God adopting us. Like it says, we're reborn, John 1, 13, they're reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So we're reborn into the family of God. The, really, the term, like you said, Bo, is we're adopted into his family. But when Mormons say this, they're talking about a pre-existence. They're talking about a completely, a physical a physical father in heaven who's like our physical fathers on earth. It's just this, I mean, we've gotten into this in other episodes, but it's a completely different thing. But Bo, you're saying that you wouldn't get into all of that, like pre-existent stuff necessarily. You're just like yeah, staying at the surface. We wouldn't. Okay. Yeah, we would stay surface level. I mean, obviously, if we had to get into it, we'd have to start bringing up a heavenly mother, okay. uh, heavenly parents, plural, right? And and that's a whole bag of worms that you don't want to talk about when you're talking surface stuff. So we would we would breeze through God as our loving heavenly father. We would find some common ground there. Mm-hmm. And then we would move to the gospel. Like, why did God give us the gospel? It's, it's because it blesses you as an individual and it blesses your family. Wow. So, right? so like the, the second thing you're emphasizing is families. Family. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And, and look, if you've ever seen a Mormon ad, families, isn't it about mm-hmm. 
time, right? Like the church is so, so big on families and there's nothing wrong with being big on families. I think um, family is super important. It's as Mormons teach here and preach my gospel, it's the most important unit in society is what they teach, right? And they're like, hey, God wants you to be happy as a family. He wants you to be connected. And obviously that's a really good, um, it's a feel-good statement for families that you're speaking to. Obviously everybody wants a better relationship with their family. Um, and so that that's another um, bridge where you're building common ground. Okay, so you start with, God is our loving Heavenly Father. People are like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And now you're moving on to God, the gospel blesses individuals and families. Family is the most important unit in society. People are like, yes, yes, I do love my family. I do think families are important. So you're building some common ground. And now you start moving into the third thing in the manual in the lesson plan says, okay, now talk to them about dispensations. But so what are dispensate now for Christian listeners, they might already have an idea for what this term means, but it's not what it means for Mormons. So explain a dispensation from a Mormon point of view. A dispensation is um, like, it's similar to the Christian belief where it's like eras, um, but a dispensation for a Mormon would mean it's kind of marked by the prophets that were called at that time. And then as a dispensation ends, it's because the people have rejected the gospel and the prophets. So dispensations for, for Mormons are, it's, it's connected to authority, essentially, right? It's, is it right? Is it true that they say like, Adam was a prophet, and Noah was a prophet, and Moses, they would call all these people prophets, and God spoke to them. And basically, I mean, Bo, Maybe you can put on your missionary hat again and, and help me understand this. But basically, they're, you're kind of setting them up for introducing, in a little bit, introducing Joseph Smith, right, as one of the prophets. You totally are, right? You're, you're trying to point out that, hey, God has revealed his gospel all throughout time. He revealed it to uh, the people in Noah's day, the people in Abraham's day, the people in Moses's day, right? The people in Jesus's day. Like, that's what you would, that was the talk track. Like, every dispensation, a period of time where the prophet is on the earth who has the priesthood of God to speak for God, um, the gospel was on the earth, and then it was lost or taken away when those people rebelled or rejected it. So it's it's this pattern that we're trying to point out as missionaries so that we can point out a similar pattern in the 1800s that's upcoming right but yeah for sure that's that's what we were trying to do was to lay the foundation there yeah i want to i want to emphasize that again because some people might you might need to hear that again what's happening at this point in the conversation is you're laying the groundwork for people to say yeah wait that makes that makes sense god did spoke speak to adam oh yeah yeah that makes sense god did speak to noah Oh, that makes sense. God did speak to Moses, and God did speak to Abraham, and God did speak to David, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, whatever. And now, oh, God did speak to uh, John and James, and right? I mean, I would imagine the apostles in the New Testament. Am I getting this right, by the way? Yeah, you are, for sure. And, and I think the other thing is it would be, well, it's easier for listeners to link that to the priesthood, right? Because the priesthood is a, a word that they'll remember from their Old Testament, right? Okay. And so we would always remind them that those prophets had God's power, the priesthood, and that's what allowed them to be the prophet, right? Okay, so hold on a second. Now, now I got the prophet thing, but you're going to have to explain the priesthood thing, because Adam wasn't a priest. Adam didn't, or, or is a Mormon going to say, no, oh, no, Adam had priesthood authority, and and Noah had priesthood authority. They're going to say that they're that they had priesthood authority as well, not just that they were prophets in the sense of that God spoke to them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that's what Mormons teach and believe. And we'll get into uh, the the priesthood here because I think it's important as you talk about dispensations. And and um, maybe Brian, you can explain what a dispensation is to to maybe a Christian versus what it is to a Mormon. To a Mormon, it's a period of time where a prophet who holds the priesthood keys of God is on the earth declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's, to a Mormon, what a dispensation is. So what's a dispensation to a Christian? 
when I think of dispensations or the way God deals with humanity, I just think about it in terms of we have the old covenant, the old way of doing things under the Mosaic law, the Mosaic dispensation or the Mosaic covenant. And then Jesus came and fulfilled all of that in the new covenant. And so like, for example, when we take communion, Jesus, communion is where Jesus took the, the idea of, um, of the, the Passover meal in, from the Old Testament, and Jesus, his Last Supper, is sitting down with his disciples and saying, I'm giving this new meaning. And so he took the same cup and the same bread that had meaning for Jewish people in terms of the Passover feast. And he said, this now is the cup of my, is the new cup of my new covenant. This is my blood. It's not a lamb's blood anymore, like what it meant for you in the Old Testament. And this bread is, instead of this unleavened bread that the Israelites had to bake really quick, they didn't have time for it to rise. That's why it was unleavened, because they had to get out of there because the angel of death was coming. Jesus is saying, no, that's not, that's not what this represents anymore. This represents my body. And so what Jesus was doing I mean, that's just an example of how he was, he was showing them the new covenant. He was saying, all of this stuff is now being fulfilled in, in my body, in my blood. And I want you to do, every time you do this, this is why Christian churches, when they do communion, we always point back to, we're always pointing back to Jesus, the, the, uh, the one who ushered in this new covenant. But the whole time, all of this was God's plan from the beginning. The whole Bible is this beautiful story about Jesus coming and, and fulfilling um, fulfilling all righteousness and living a perfect sinless life and dying on the cross and symbolized by all of that, like um, summarizing and unifying all the symbols of the Old Testament Mosaic law that we read about in Leviticus, the, the lambs and the goats and the temples. We can read all about, about all this, by the way, in the New Testament book of Hebrews. But all of this stuff gets fulfilled in Jesus. And so when you think about dispensations biblically, like in these simple terms, we think about the old covenant that was setting up the new covenant, and it's all about Jesus. But when I think about dispensations the way I'm reading about it in this missionary lesson plan, it is not at all about Jesus. It's about priests. It's about prophets. It's about human beings. And that's where I'm like, wait, this doesn't make any sense in the, in the grand scheme of the Bible, because the Bible is all about Jesus. It's so much simpler. It's just all about Jesus. Jesus fulfills it all. And that's why we don't need all these ex... We don't need prophets anymore. Jesus was the ultimate prophet. He was the ultimate revelator of God. Nobody can trump him. Nobody can do better than Jesus. Jesus reveals God better than anyone ever did or ever could. He's the ultimate priest. He's the ultimate prophet. He's the ultimate king. And, and then when I, re- when I read this lesson, it act- honestly, like it makes me angry for God's sake, like how it just takes the emphasis off of Jesus and the culmination of all of this, it takes it off of Jesus and it puts it back on people. It's like it reads it back into the Old Testament, and then it reads it forward, as we're going to see. It reads it forward into Joseph Smith in the 1800s, and all of it is just backwards when I read it. Anyway, sorry sorry to go on the rant, but that's how I view all of it. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, I think that's important, right? And, and it's an important distinction, right, for, for those with a Mormon background to understand uh, a different viewpoint of what the Old Testament is pointing to, and, and obviously what the New Testament's all about. It's a new covenant. So, okay, so, so that's... That's the dispensations, right? So Heavenly Father reveals his gospel in every dispensation. We would, we would cover that. We'd talk about prophets. And then we would move to the Savior's earthly ministry and atonement. And this is where we would talk about how the Savior taught the gospel. And we immediately go into he called apostles and gave them priesthood authority. So again, it's back on man telling them, hey, yeah, he taught the gospel, but he also called apostles and prophets, right? So he gave them priesthood authority, and then we would reference John 15, 16, um, which basically just, um, I don't think it says, hey, I'm giving you the priesthood (laughs) uh, at all, but that was a a verse that we would reference to say, look, he called apostles, he gave them a priesthood authority to go do these things. And I think it's important that we, that we talk about the priesthood for a second here. So when, yeah, when you talk about priesthood, just in general, Bo, you're talking about 
there's two there's two types of priesthood that that Mormons talk about and emphasize the Aaronic priesthood and the Melchizedek priesthood. They actually both come from the Bible, but the the way that Mormons talk about it is a mis- misinterpretation. But why don't you explain it first, and then I'll try I'll come back and backfill it and help people to understand biblically how to view it. So, so when you think about the two priesthoods, Aaronic priesthood was, I, I held it as a young man. It's what you needed to pass the sacrament, which is kind of the bread and water. Mormons believe it's kind of like the communion. Um, you, uh, yeah, you could only do certain things, but the Melchizedek priesthood, the higher priesthood was the priesthood um, that you needed to like give someone a blessing of healing or comfort or that you needed to... Uh, go on a mission, for example, or it's the priesthood you need when you're going through the temple. Uh, so, so there's a lot riding on the Melchizedek priesthood, that higher priesthood. Um, and the reason it's called the Melchizedek priesthood, it's named after uh, Melchizedek from the Old Testament. Um, and that's where I think, you know, we could probably turn it over to you, Brian, to explain what the priesthood is biblically, because I think when we when we when Mormons call it the Melchizedek priesthood, it probably confuses most Christians. I remember talking to some Christians one day, and they were like, "What do you mean Melchizedek priesthood? Like that doesn't make any sense. Jesus is the great high priest. He's anyway." So, so maybe you can explain that. Well, actually, the Book of Hebrews explains it really well. Hebrews chapter seven, Hebrews chapter eight. For our listeners who want to learn more about this from the Bible, just read what the Bible says. But here's what here's let me just give a like a two minute overview. Let's see if I can do this in two minutes. Okay, so the the Aaronic priesthood was uh, was Aaron. He was uh, that comes from the line of Levi, one of the tribes, one of the twelve tribes. So everyone born like Leviticus is 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 all about the 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 priests and their laws and rules. And all of that was under the Mosaic Covenant. All of that was under the law that they were supposed to go into the tabernacle and then later the temple, and they were supposed to do all these rituals and all this stuff. And what's interesting about this, Bo, is I think the reason the reason that this is so this is in lesson one of the missionary lessons is because you're setting people up to be introduced to the temple eventually, which Mormons have. So Mormons have this temple. That's why priesthood authority is really important. And the problem the problem with that is that Aaronic priesthood um, was all about the temple, but the Melchizedek priesthood preceded the temple. The Mel- Melchizedek came before Moses. Melchizedek was this mysterious figure that comes and blesses Abraham, basically. So this is way before Moses' day. So we get we when we think of priests in the Old Testament, we usually are talking about the Levites and the Aaronic priesthood. But this Melchizedek priesthood is just this obscure little outlier at the beginning of Genesis that probably nobody ever thought very much about until Jesus comes and Hebrews is written. And then the, the author of Hebrews says, look, Jesus wasn't from the tribe of Levi. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. And he says, see, because Jesus was a priest in the order of Melchizedek, Jesus, which basically means from the biblical point of view, Jesus supersedes the Mosaic law. Jesus supersedes the Aaronic priesthood. Jesus supersedes the temple and all the rituals therein. And that's what's so crazy to me, Bo and KD, is that Mormons are reintroducing the temple that Jesus came to abolish. Jesus came to get rid of. Jesus, Jesus, you know, right before he died, Jesus cursed the fig tree, and it was it was a symbol of the curse that would come on the temple, because the temple wasn't needed anymore, because Jesus was the fulfillment of all these things. This is what drives me crazy as I read this first <laughs> lesson, Bo, is it's like right. you're missing all this rich, beautiful, simple, biblical doctrine by adding like priests and prophets and dispensations, it's like you're losing the simplicity of the gospel and the focus on Jesus in the gospel. He's the final high priest, not in the order of Aaron, because that we don't need temples and Levites anymore. He's in the order of Melchizedek because we don't need priests anymore. It's not about establishing more Melchizedek priests like the Mormons do. It's about getting rid of all of them because Jesus is the final one. That's so well put. Um, you know, what, what was the purpose of the tabernacle? What was the purpose of the temple? The, the, the purpose of it was so that you could ultimately, so that you could be in the presence of God, right? You could experience God's power. You could experience God's holiness. Uh, and you could be cleansed from sin when you offered those offerings. Like, 
Jesus came as the ultimate revelation of himself to do away with the old covenant, establish the new covenant in his blood, and then pour out the Holy Spirit upon all believers so that God could live in you. You're now the temple of God. That was, that was the point. <laughs> and, and you're right, it's unfortunate that, that Mormons miss it. And, and I think it's important, though, because it's, it's rooted in this belief of, well, Part of it is rooted in this belief of the priesthood and, and, and that prophets need to be called in every age. And, and you're right, that they, they miss the point. But that's, that they're, I mean, again, not to be skeptical here, that's kind of what they're trying to do. They're trying to set you up for Mormon, a Mormon understanding and view on the world and on Scripture rather than a biblical. So they're, they're, star, they're, they're laying the groundwork by having a focus on priesthood authority rather than having a focus on the Holy Spirit being the gift and the promise for everyone. I mean, KD, how does this land for a, for a wife who's sitting there? You know, Bo comes over, he's talking to husband and wife. This priesthood authority isn't offered to women, it's offered to men. So whereas the Bible offers the Holy Spirit to everybody, because the, that the, Jesus came so that we could have the Holy Spirit who is God in us, moving us to be obedient, to be in relationship with him. Like that's, like you said, Bo, that's the ultimate, that's the pinnacle of this whole thing in a biblical sense. But the pinnacle in a Mormon sense is something that's really only reserved for men. I mean, how does that strike a woman, I guess, when they hear that? For women, we, we look to the men to have the priesthood to hold our families together. So the reason that this is so important for um, Mormons to wrap their head around um, is because this, this right here sets up probably one of the biggest uh, reasons people don't leave, or at least for women, because we are so concerned about our families staying together forever. So if we right the if the priesthood isn't real, then we feel unstable. We don't feel like our families are going to be together. Like we like cuz the priesthood is what is what links our families together forever. That's we go through the temple, we're sealed together with our families and that's the only pro, that's the promise that we have. But the problem with that is, is it cuts Christ out of it. It cuts Jesus out of it. And not only that, but it distorts the truth, the truth that, that Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is the goal. And of course, we want our families to be there. And we are, we can raise our children in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we hope that they accept him as their Lord and Savior, and then they have a guarantee of salvation, right? They So Mormons, we don't, we hold on to this so hard because we don't have a promise unless we have this instead of Jesus. It's funny, though, when you talk about the Savior's earthly ministry and atonement, what you end up talking mostly about is that he taught the gospel, he called apostles, gave them the priesthood, and established his church. And then the last bullet is, oh, and by the way, he was crucified and the apostles were rejected and killed. So it's like... <laughs> it's like an aside guys, almost. Yeah, yeah, like it's just, it's, it's unfortunate. Now, obviously... Um, some missionaries like myself, for example, would focus on teaching Jesus and the atonement as much as possible. But, uh, but, but again, the emphasis is, is quite interesting because again, what they're trying to do is set up for the apostasy and the restoration. So, well, I think it's interesting, Bo, to contrast what you just described with the way Peter shared the gospel with Cornelius's house in Acts chapter 10. I mean, we're reading the first lesson of five lessons. It's all about priesthood keys and prophets, and it's all this like complicated stuff. But when Peter shared, when Peter knocked on Cornelius's door in Acts chapter 10, I mean, readers, go, listen, go read it for yourself. He basically just tells them all about Jesus, to your point. Jesus isn't a footnote. He's not a side thing. He's what it's all about. So just 
you know, if we've got Mormon background listeners who are struggling to try to decide what's true here, I mean, really weigh the comp the complexity of everything we're talking about here with the simplicity of the gospel that Peter shares with Cornelius in Acts 10. Because now we're now it's going to get even more complex, Bo, because now in the lessons, finally you're going to talk about the great apostasy. What is that all about? And and because it's huge to you're almost like setting all this up, priesthood, prophets, keys, the church, um, you know, the apostles in the New Testament, they get the priesthood, they're the new priests and the new prophets. And then now you now you're ready to tell the you know your what do you what do you call these investigators? You're ready to tell your investigators about the great apostasy. Yeah, that's right. So at, at this point, we're ready to explain that the prophets, the apostles, they were rejected and killed. The gospel was lost. It was distorted and changed because evil people took hold. And and without God's power, without the priesthood authority, the the doctrine couldn't remain pure. And and so it was distorted and changed with the death of the apostles. Priesthood keys are gone. And now uh, over time, the, the doctrine and, and the gospel and the Bible is altered and corrupted. For centuries, right, the, the world entered this period of spiritual darkness um, where, where truth was protested against. And uh, it was even foretold. So in Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 3, uh, it, it basically foretold the great apostasy, right? Like, like that's, that's what we would teach as a Mormon missionary. <laughs> exactly. So you know, you would use, sec, was Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 3, one of the passages you had memorized? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I, would, I, would, I shared it in every single lesson for two years, yeah. And you connected it to the great apostasy, right? Yeah, you're saying that this is talking about when the last apostles died, and and then therefore the priesthood keys were lost, and everything went to hell in a handbasket for 1,800 years until Joseph Smith showed up and Moroni appeared to him and revealed this and 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 gave him gave him the keys back, right? So this is so this is that's where you're going as a missionary at this point. But let me read Second Thessalonians two one through three for our listeners because I want them to decide for themselves if they think this is talking about some great apostasy. Here's what it says: Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet Him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings dis- destruction. So I'm assuming verse 3 there is what you're talking about, is for that day will not come until this great rebellion. So the great rebellion is the great apostasy, is that right? That That is the Mormon interpretation of that scripture, yes. And the biblical interpretation of the scripture is that that's talking about the end times. That's just an end times passage. It's not talking about some apostasy on the earth. But I can see then how, Bo, how you're using that and someone's like, oh, wow. Wow, it says it right there that it was going to happen. And then they even, they in the manual, I, this kind of got me fired up, in the manual they say, they even reference the Reformation in the 1500s. They say, this is right, I'm going to quote right from the manual, they say, after centuries of spiritual darkness, truth-seeking men and women protested against current religious practices, the indulgences from Pope Leo X, in the in the Catholic Church, Martin Luther, you know, posted his ninety five theses, saying these guys, the Pope is wrong, it's corrupt, and but here's here's how the manual says or interprets the Reformation. They're saying that they sought for greater spiritual light, and many spoke of the need for a restoration of truth. That's interesting. They're using the word restoration of truth, but it says none of these people claimed that God had called them to be a prophet. Instead, they tried to reform teachings and practices that they believed had been changed or corrupted. Their efforts led to the organization of many Protestant churches. This reformation resulted in an increased emphasis on religious freedom, which opened the way for the final restoration. So, Bo, what they're claiming here, I mean, did you get this when you were reading this? They were claiming that the Martin Luther and the the great reformation from the 1500s was just all about setting up the restoration through Joseph Smith in the 1800s. That's right. That's what I taught. 
I mean, yeah, I, I studied these um, these early Christian uh, leaders for that reason, for that purpose, so that I mm. could explain that they were reforming something that needed to be restored. Okay, so let me just let me just speak to that for a second because this is crazy gaslighting to me. <laughs> this is crazy to me. The whole point of the Reformation, Martin Luther, the German monk, reads Romans and reads Galatians. The Romans and Galatians that we read today and realize that the institutional Catholic Church had corrupted it and gotten away from the Bible. The, the, the phrase for the Reformation was sola scriptura, only scripture. It was all about, it was all about elevating the authority of scripture. And but this is what's interesting, Bo and KD, is Mormonism has to do the opposite of that. It's not built on the on the, you know, the the Reformation, the ideas of the Reformation. It's the opposite of that because it's saying scripture can't be trusted. It's it's not sola scriptura, it's throw scripture out because we can't trust it because we think it's been corrupted and lost over the generations. So anyway, I just had to point that out, that it's very, very much not the same thing. But I, I can see now why Mormons have this sense of superiority that, like, we know more. We know more than you. Oh, you were so close. You were so close with the Reformation, but, but you, you missed it because the whole, thing was, the whole thing was doomed since the apostles died because of the great apostasy. And why was it doomed? Because there was not a prophet on the earth with the priesthood. Right. Bingo. And that, that's what a Mormon would teach, right? So, mm-hmm. so a, Mormon would, a Mormon missionary like myself would, uh, would teach this and would explain that because there, there was this great falling away, there needed to be a restoration of Christ's original truth, of his church, of his teachings. And so, um, but, you know, you, you mentioned gaslighting, and <laughs> I, we, we probably should give that a bit of time. I do think that, that there is a bit of gaslighting in, in, in the teachings or in the theology here, right? Like the simple doctrine ordinances taught by the Savior were debated and changed to conform to worldly philosophies. That's what the missionary manual teaches. Um, it says that they, they physically changed the scriptures, removing plain and precious doctrine from them. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, so this is what the manual is saying <laughs> the apostasy did. Right. But, but the truth is, it's what Joseph Smith did. Right. It's what Brigham Young did. It's not what the apostasy did. All these things actually are, can be applied to Mormonism, not to biblical, early, ancient Christianity. Yeah, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow, having been a Mormon missionary that taught all this, right? But, but it is frustrating, obviously, having kind of seen it for what it is and, and um, understanding the Bible and biblical truth. Uh, to to see some of this with clear eyes, it's it's kind of wild. Okay, so in like sixty seconds, explain then the restoration. So enter Joseph Smith. So here you've set them up. You've talked about love, loving Heavenly Father. You've talked about the eternal families. You've talked about the great apostasy. You've well, you've talked about priests and prophets, and then the great apostasy. And now you've set the you've set the stage for the restoration of the gospel and Joseph's claim. So explain that real quick for people who maybe have never heard it before. Sure. So so the the you know what we would teach is that hey, because look there were a lot of good people there were a lot of good Christians that that believed um, and understood uh, all that they could, but they didn't have the fullness of truth or the priesthood authority from God or a prophet, right? So they couldn't baptize, which is a, a commandment. They, they couldn't perform saving ordinances by the priesthood uh, like they could in Jesus's day. That all needed to be brought back by a prophet, because what God does in every dispensation is the same. He calls a prophet to teach the gospel, and that's what he did in this final dispensation before the second coming. He called another prophet. That's what we would teach. So there were no prophets from, you know, the death of John, I would, I would guess, the beloved disciple. He was the last disciple to die, the last apostle to die. So there were no prophets from the death of John, probably in like 90 AD or something like that. 
and 18, whatever, 13 or 15, whatever, Joseph Smith gets this visit. There were no prophets. There was no revelation. God wasn't revealing that nobody could be baptized. Nobody could be saved. Like it was all because the priesthood keys were gone. Again, this is what a Mormon would say. The, the gospel needed to be restored. So, um, so Joseph now gets the priesthood keys back. And now we're back on track. And then now, is this where you start introducing the idea of additional scriptures? Yes. <laughs> like, hey, now that we have another prophet, that prophet revealed more of God's word for us, which is where we get the Book of Mormon. He translated this golden record by the gift and power of God. It's called the Book of Mormon. It's not a new Bible, but it's another testament of Jesus Christ written by prophets on the American continent from thousands of years ago. So that's that's how we would introduce the Book of Mormon. Obviously, we would then get into, hey, you can know that what we've shared with you today is true. You can pray about it. And based on your thoughts and feelings, you'll feel the truth of this message. That's that's always how we ended every every single time. And then it was, Mr. Johnson, will you pray? Will you read these these verses in the Book of Mormon and pray to know if the book is true? And if the book is true, the prophet Joseph Smith was true. And if the prophet Joseph Smith is true, the Church of Jesus Christ is the only true church on the face of the earth. Okay, now you're a sales guy, Bo. So you're 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 <laughs> why do you think why do you think I am? Yeah. You're closing the deal <laughs> it, like at the end of lesson one, or or is it that you're just still sort of setting them up to is this where you're closing the deal or are you gonna close the deal in a later lesson? So you there, <laughs> I guess if we're talking sales. So in sales, there's a concept of a soft close. And a soft close is basically you get them to do a small commitment. And if they say yes to that small commitment, you ask them to do another small commitment. And then they get used to saying yes to your small commitment so that when they ask for the big commitment, it's not as hard, right? That's sales 101. And, and this is obviously a missionary tactic that, that we used as, as Mormon missionaries. We would ask them to read a verse, pray about it. The next lesson was to read a verse, pray about it. The next lesson was to come to church, right? There's little mini commitments before okay. the big commitment, which is the baptism commitment. So this is this at the end of lesson one, because there's, I mean, honestly, like we've covered a ton of ground here. I mean, we've, we've, I mean, we're kind of diving in. We're not just dipping our toe in. Like we're talking about priesthood keys and prophets and apostasies and new scripture a new prophet on the earth. Like, honestly, this is when I, when I zoom out and look at this, it's kind of like, wow, yeah, you did, you did reveal quite a bit in week number one. I mean, did you have a lot of people who just rejected it outright? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like a ton of people. Um, but but you get used to it, right? You get used to the rejection and, and it, it almost makes you more firm in what you're talking about, to mm. be honest. So as you're, you know, as you're sharing this message, uh, the more you share it, the more you're told no, the, the more you want to just like dig your heels in. Well, here's what the Bible says, and maybe this is where we can end for today. We've covered a lot of ground. Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9. This is Paul writing to the churches in Galatia, a region in modern day Turkey. And there was a like false, there were false teachings that were starting to hit the churches in Galatia and not like totally unchristian teachings. It was false teachings based on Christianity, but, but it was twisted a little bit, just a little bit, and, but enough that it wasn't true. And here's what Paul said to the churches in Galatia when he found out that, he were, he that they were listening to these people. He says, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ, because he would he had planted those churches earlier in an earlier missionary journey. He had shared the gospel with them and they'd received the gospel. And here's what he says: You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. They were Judaizers. They were saying that you actually have to jump through these hoops to become a a Christian. You have to become a Jew before you come a, become a Christian. You have to get circumcised before you become a Christian. And Paul's whole message in Galatians, I encourage our readers to read all of Galatians. It's a short book, but the whole message is about the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, the simple gospel of Jesus Christ that we're saved by grace through faith, period. It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about 
priesthood keys. It's not about jumping through hoops that we're going to be learning about in future lessons. It's just all about Jesus. That's why it's called good news. He says, you're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it's not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, he writes, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. And then he says it again. I say it again, as we've said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. So here's what I would say to everyone who's on, maybe on the fence, wondering if Mormonism and the stuff we're even teaching right here, wondering, maybe it still has a pull because you've believed it and you've even taught it, maybe. I just would encourage you, and maybe Bo and Katie, you can you can finish with your own admonition to, to people today, but I would encourage you, don't throw out the good news of the Bible, the gospel message that you can find in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians, even in the Mormon version of Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and the, new, the entire New Testament. Even if an angel from heaven, like for example, Moroni, comes and preaches a different gospel, don't fall for it. That's what Paul's saying. Don't fall for it because God's good news doesn't change. It doesn't progress. It doesn't change. It doesn't need new prophets. It doesn't need new revelations. It's been true from the beginning, and it's still true today. I think it's important for those with Mormon backgrounds to read the Bible with um, an openness towards towards Jesus, because it's easy to read the Bible with your with your Mormon lens, right? We've read the Bible with. Well, those of us who have read the Book of Mormon and the Bible, we sort of link those two together. But when you take the Bible at its word and what it teaches is the truth, and when you peel away the Mormonism lens, you find that Jesus Christ is all we need, and it's beautifully simple. And I just hope that um, listeners can, like you said, just... Um, not throw the baby out with the bathwater, but read the Bible with that open heart. I, I spent two years of my life um, memorizing this stuff and sharing it with everybody I possibly could. I sprinted from house to house with a golf clicker, clicking every person I talked to, right? I um, I took copious notes. I, I did everything that I could in a shirt and tie and a name tag um, to teach this stuff. And... And what I realized is that it's not true, that the Bible is, that Jesus Christ revealed himself to the world, established the new covenant in his blood, and that those who believe become children of God. And God now lives in us. God lives in his believers. The Holy Spirit is in us. We are the temple of God. That is what I know to be true, and that's what and the reason I know it to be true is because that's what God's word says. So for, for those listeners that are like me, <laughs> that, that taught this for two years, or that taught it in primary, or that grew up learning about it, I just encourage you, like Katie said, to, to study it out, to study the Bible, and to, to draw closer to, to God. And, and, and I, know that, I know that's how it works. It's, it's kind of crazy, because uh, you know, you're taught that your whole life, basically. but. Uh, it's funny how close you can be to to the truth and still miss it. 